Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. I don't care what other people think. I saw Bigfoot 10 years ago. I was with 11 other Boy Scouts at the time. And uh, we were camping 18 miles south of Butte in the Deer Lodge National Forest. We had walked in to the forest about five miles that day. It's not over yet. we got another mile. Mm -hmm. John, did you get a new, a new away flap? Not yet. I thought I did another hour of service. Oh, God, my boots are killing me. You're not the only one, man. They went, they went down in there and they found the cars smashed. After setting up camp, Dan and his friends ate dinner and then sat around and talked, telling jokes until bedtime. The boys were all in their bedrolls and fast asleep by 11 o'clock. in the forest, Dan's friend was the first to sense it, the first to hear it. Two other boys saw the giant monster. 
It took us a couple hours to get back to sleep. And when we got up the next morning, we went up on the ridge where we saw the Bigfoot at. And when we got up there, we discovered a number of uh, footprints, the biggest footprints I've ever seen. And they look something like this. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. It's your host, Adam Sane, and I got Rob over here. Mr. Robbie Lenz filling in on the mic tonight. <laughs> Doing my best for Luke and, yeah. and Sean and James and Henry and whoever else was. Yeah, whoever was supposed to be here tonight. All the people are like, yeah, I want to talk about Bigfoot, man. And they, they, show up, they don't show up. Anyway, uh, well, on the line, uh, you know, we're just going to get right straight into the interview tonight. And on the line, I have uh, Mr. Eric Altman. And I've heard of Eric from the uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town radio show, otherwise known as Darkness Radio. He does the, uh, I think it's like the cryptid uh, corner part of the show. And uh, had gotten him on to, to come on to talk about Bigfoot. And we were supposed to have done this about a month or so ago. But before I did that, I uh, had no idea about that he was also a fellow traveler on the uh, Intrepid Paradigm Broadcasting Network. And so uh, we are happy to bring you on, Mr. Eric Altman. Thanks for having me tonight. Appreciate it. I wanted to talk about like a sh- topic that we haven't really covered on this show at, uh, very much at all. We've talked a lot about ghosts. We've talked about conspiracy theories. We've talked about alien abductions. We've talked about all that kind of you know secret societies and all that good stuff. But Bigfoot has not been something that uh, I've particularly wanted to talk about till now. But I figured it. Uh, at a certain point, I really just wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit. And I just wanted to kind of go over like who you are and like how you started studying kind of like cryptozoology and, and in particular, like, uh, you know, studying Bigfoot. Well, that goes back a long, long time. Way back to 1980, as a matter of fact, a uh, 10 year old kid. Um, I was a big fan of, uh, the science, uh, sci-fi and horror films, um, growing up. And, I used to, after church on Sundays, I used to go up to my parents' bedroom. They had a little 13-inch black-and-white TV, and, and they would always watch these really bad news talk shows or sports. Or I really wasn't interested in sports at that time, but yeah. like the uh, the movies. So I'd sneak up to their bedroom, and I'd watch TV on their bedroom. And some of the you know, classics, you know, The Day the Earth Stood Still and um, War of the Worlds, those kind of movies I was really into. And two movies in particular really... Um, hit it home for me, so to speak. Uh, Legend of Boggy Creek, which was a Charles Pierce movie. Uh, it, I call it a docudrama because it was a film based on factual things that happened in a little town called Falk, Arkansas in the 1960s. Right. The town's residents were having encounters and sightings with this hair-covered uh, Bigfoot-like creature. And they made the movie based on uh, those sightings and reenactments and recreations with actually some of the actual eyewitnesses. So that movie really got me uh, interested in the paranormal field. And I had an interest, a waning interest in it, but not really gung-ho like I am today. 
but it was that movie and then another fictional film called uh, Creature from Black Lake, which was about two anthropology students from Chicago that went down to a little fictional city called Oil City in Texas looking for uh, Bigfoot, and they found him, and it didn't turn out too well for them. But both those movies were very key and instrumental to getting me really interested in cryptids and especially in Bigfoot. And from that point in 1980 on, after seeing those films, I started educating myself on the subject, going to the, the junior high school library, the high school library, the public library in Greensburg where I grew up at, and just really reading anything I could find, whether it was books on the subject, newspaper articles, magazine articles, anything at all I could find, I was reading. And I spent probably a good 17 years um, exploring those different topics. And Bigfoot was one of my favorites, of course. Right. I liked all the cryptids, but that really stood out to me with the Bigfoot subject. Um, another key factor really getting me motivated was meeting my mentor, Stan Gordon, in 1983. And uh, he is a, a paranormal investigator that really mainly studies UFO sightings, but he also gets into uh, anomalous strange creature reports and, and sightings. And in 1983, I was really shocked and surprised to find out uh, especially from reading the newspaper articles, that there were things going on in my hometown of Greensburg, Pennsylvania. And yeah. It happened about a decade earlier, 1973 and 74. There was a huge flap of Bigfoot sightings that occurred, and Stan was right in the thick of it. He had a research team. He was out there investigating all these reports. And to me, to be reading through newspaper articles, seeing a Bigfoot sighting took place less than a mile from my house was pretty exciting for a 13-year-old kid. Oh, I'll so, bet, yeah. So that really got me motivated to learn as much as I could. And as I said, I hit the newspaper articles, the magazines, the books. And I spent a lot of time talking with Stan and learning about what he did, following his reports, reading all his historical archives and reports. And uh, I, that's how I educated myself and uh, finally got into the field um, when I was 27. Um, decided it was about time that I started seeing for myself if these reports were real. So I began my field research in 1997. Okay. And, and, and speaking of movies, um, you weren't inspired by the $6 million man versus Bigfoot. Oh, I love that as a kid. Yeah. Of course I didn't see it when I saw the, the, the other two movies first, but I did see it. And I never actually heard about it until just recently. I didn't even know that that was even, even an actual show that and the, uh, the bionic woman, um, encounter yeah. with Bigfoot as well. And of course the, we all remember the, um, the In Search of episodes with uh, Leonard oh, yeah. Boy, and there was a lot of classic shows in the 1970s that were out there, Bigfoot and Wild Boy by Sid and Marty Croft. So, I mean, there's a lot of Bigfoot stuff that was around in the 1970s. The, the first thing that I remember hearing about Bigfoot, when I was, oh, man, I was probably about like six or seven years old, and I can remember going to um, a local library, and they were showing, this of course is the days, you know, this is even before like video cassettes were even like readily available, so it was like on a film strip. And we're watching this. Um, we're watching this like uh, strange documentary about Bigfoot, where these these like Boy Scouts are out in the woods or something, and they're sleeping, and they wake up and they see this uh, this like hairy creature digging through their like backpacks and knapsacks and stuff. And that was like my first impression of like the whole Bigfoot thing. Yeah. I, I don't know what that movie was. I wish I could kind of find that. To find, it may have been Boggy Creek, which I've never seen. But I can tell you what it was, actually. Oh, really? Awesome. It's a movie called Mysterious Monsters, and it was hosted or starred Peter Graves. I mean, from the air. Oh, okay. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's a movie about uh, Bigfoot in the 1970s, and um, he goes back and documents some of this. <laughs> I remember that scene quite well. Matter of fact, I have a copy of the movie on DVD here at my home. Oh wow! Well, you have solved a like thir- over 30 year old mystery for me in like the first 10 minutes of this interview. <clears throat> yeah, for me, I think it was probably Harry and the Hendersons. So, another docudrama. Yeah, yeah another docudrama. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, but I have that movie too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a classic, man. Uh, Well, I want to ask, you know, this is going to sound like a really silly or stupid question, but like, what is Bigfoot Sasquatch? You know, what, what are some of the proofs that, uh, that this animal, and I say that in quotation marks, exists and some of the proofs that it doesn't. And also to add to that, what's some of the theories that it that, that this creature may actually be? Well, I'll answer your second question first. Okay. Um, nobody really knows what Bigfoot is. Uh, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of theories, a lot of ideas, hypothesis, a, a lot of wild ideas what this thing is. But we don't have a live or dead specimen to say exactly what this thing is. The scientific community believes it's a relative or... I wrote of a Gigantopithecus blackie, which was one of the largest primates in the Asian continent back in, oh gosh, 100,000 100, years ago, 125,000 yeah. years ago. And it actually walked upright. And if you Google Gigantopithecus blackie online, you'll see artist renditions and even a couple of um, recreations that are made as, as kind of like a, a stuffed figure. Um, Bill Munns, an artist from uh, Hollywood, a former uh, special effects artist created a replica of Gigantopithecus, and it fits a lot of the description of what people are saying that they're seeing, I'm almost to the T. It stands anywhere from 8 foot to 12 foot high, very muscular, very broad-shouldered, um, covered with hair, and it does fit in line with a lot of this eyewitness testimony that we get. But we don't know for sure if that's what Bigfoot is. Now, the scientific community, of course, them following science, they want a body, they want a full body to be able to say this animal exists. And the only thing we have from Gigantopithecus are teeth and some mandible jaws. That's yeah. it. Um, so we know that animal exists based on those uh, fossil records. However, we don't have anything to match up with Bigfoot. So the scientific community obviously right. wanting scientific proof, they're matching that as possibly the closest relative to what Bigfoot is. Now, some of the, the fringe theories... There are people out there that think Bigfoot is an alien, uh, Mm -hmm. interdimensional being. Uh, The Native Americans, of course, thought he was a spirit. There are people out there who think he is a very close relative to Homo sapien, Uh, maybe like uh, Paranthropus robustus, um, something along those lines, maybe a Neanderthal. Uh, But we don't know for sure exactly what Bigfoot is because we don't have that uh, golden, golden chalice of proof. Uh, which is a body, either a part of a body or a full corpse, skeleton, bones, anything like that. So we don't have that. What we do have, in answer to your first question, is uh, what I call anecdotal evidence or um, circumstantial evidence. Sure, it'll, it'll win a, a case in court, you know, in the court of law, but it won't prove the animal exists. Uh, the circumstantial evidence we have are, of course, the eyewitness testimony, and there are literally thousands of eyewitness reports all around the globe of uh, a similar like a similar type of creature that people are seeing. We have large footprints that our people are finding 
and they vary in size, they vary in width, they vary in um, shape, uh, toe count. They, some are five toes, and that's the norm. But there are toes that have been found, uh, four toes, three toed traps found, and they've been cast. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, a anthropology professor and uh, primate anatomist out of Idaho State University, has the largest cast collection in the world with over 250 footprint casts. So wow. we have circumstantial evidence. Now, there have been times where people have collected hair, blood, scat. A lot of that uh, pretty much falls to the wayside because we can't get a solid DNA um, answer from it. In other words, it either comes back as uh, contaminated um, or it, yields, it doesn't yield enough information for us to say conclusively what it is. Now, there are people that say, yes, we, we have unknown primate. It comes back as unknown animal, unknown primate. And that may be the case, but I'm not familiar with um, anything documented that can say for sure that it's an unknown animal. Usually they come back as bear, deer, um, raccoon, possum, you know, stuff like that. Um, there have been cases where people have found hair and blood and all that good stuff, but it's not enough to prove that the animal exists. They've done two DNA studies already, and those DNA studies have pretty much fallen by the wayside. This is the Melba Ketchum yes. DNA study? And the Brian Sykes DNA study. And so those have, were those just like proved inconclusive, or was there just some... Uh, the, the trail and the, the, the method that was used was not uh, correct? Is that what to, why they're being discounted? Well, Melba is... Um, she's a veterinarian from Texas, and okay. she does dabble in um, genetics. And she did a DNA st uh, study based on what samples were submitted to her over a five-year period. And her findings, um, they, they got three genomes from the study, and they were able to test those genomes. They never loaded them to the gen bank, for starters. And other scientists that have looked at the study have said, no, these aren't what you're saying they are. They're common animals. They're porcupine, yeah. they're possum. And she doesn't agree with that. She's very, um, very uh, stubborn when it comes to this review. She stands by her work and claims that um, the, the maternal um, portion of the DNA was actually from a human, but the paternal portion of the DNA they can't identify. It came from okay. some known animal 15,000 years ago. They, they just can't identify it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of holes in her theory, and she could never get it published by a, a legitimate scientific journal. So she went out and purchased her own scientific journal to publish the findings. Which to me, oh, okay, completely discounts and discredits the the uh, the whole study right then and there. But she does right. have her followers. She does have those who firmly believe that what is proven in her study shows that Bigfoot is real. Now, Brian Sykes' study that came out uh, just this past year in, in the uh, the winter of 2014, um, his study um, showed that these were common animals uh, of the samples that were collected. They were bear, deer, coyote canine, feline, nothing yielded um, any unknown primate. Um, the only closest thing that we've come to hearing some good news from the report was that he felt that uh, one of the samples that were turned in from Bhutan was actually uh, a, an extinct or thought to be an extinct polar bear from 40,000 years ago. And that polar bear um, should not be in that area of Bhutan where the creature was supposedly shot and the hair was collected from. So if that is the case, it is truly polar bear, that's a heck of a find 
regardless if it's a Bigfoot or not. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's interesting all in of itself. Right. Um, speaking of proof as well, um, and, and one thing that's been highly debated uh, and is a real bone of contention among a lot of people that study Bigfoot is the Patterson film. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel that that is a genuine depiction or a genuine film of a actual Bigfoot, or is that a guy in a suit? Um. I'm kind of on the fence, um, and I have been for a while. I, it, when I first got into this, I thought that was the the, uh, the best piece of evidence there was to date on uh, <coughs> the subject. I, I thought that was the Holy Grail, and a lot of right. people still do. Um, they have not bu- debunked it, and they haven't proven it's a, a, it's a real creature. So the debate still goes on on it. But there are a lot of questions, a lot of things that I have questions about, um, a lot of things that happen that are just... I don't know, it just seems out of the realm of possibility. But I've had the opportunity to talk with Bob Gimlin, and Bob was with Roger Patterson the day they filmed The Creature, hence the name Patterson-Gimlin film. And I've had the chance to sit down with Bob and speak with him for several hours on end on on a couple different occasions. The man is very sincere. I believe that he was truly there, as he says, and he saw what he claims he saw. Did he see a Bigfoot? He doesn't know. He He thinks it was some kind of animal. He doesn't think it was a hoax. And if it was a hoax, he had nothing to do with it. He just happened to be there with Roger, and, and that's what they they saw and filmed. Um, I truly believe Bob. Bob is a very honest, uh, sincere, and genuine person. I have no reason to feel he's lying to me, but I just have a lot of questions when it comes to that film. So sometimes, some days I'm on the fence where I say, yeah, I'm leaning towards it being a real Bigfoot, and other days I'm like, uh, there's too many red flags that come up, and I'm leaning towards it more being a hoax right. in a suit. Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those um, things where there's just so much debate on it, and there's so many different um, statements that have been made on it, and there's so and, and there's just a lot of been doubt that's been cast on it. I mean, it wasn't there, uh, and I forget the guy's name, but there was a guy that came out and said that he was wearing a suit, and then but that and the people then uh, cast doubt on even that story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Bob Hieronymus. Bob Hieronymus, yeah. was a good friend of uh, Bob Gimlin. And uh, a matter of fact, they lived in the same town of uh, Yakima, Washington. They, they lived right down the street from each other, maybe a mile away. And Bob was uh, known as a practical joker that Bob would go to once in a while. And um, Bob came out. And... Well, Eric, you're kind of fading. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Um Bob came out in 1999 and uh, said he was the guy in the suit. And the reason he came forward right. because he was never paid from Roger what he was promised. Huh. That story never gained traction at the time. Uh, a few years later, a guy named Greg Long wrote a book about Bigfoot and about Roger Patterson, totally discrediting the Patterson-Gimlin film and totally discrediting uh, Roger's character. It was a character assassination. And he re-released statements that he was the guy in the suit and then the second time he put it out there with the book it really gained and the scoffics and the naysayers said they hey eric you're fading in and out just a, a little bit i don't know what's going on it might be skype yeah it more than likely skype. is but um <laughs> uh, yeah unfortunately he he came out and said he was hoaxing the whole thing and um his story about hoaxing it had a lot of holes in it. And when people did a background check on Bob to find out if it 
red flags and a lot of holes. So even his story is questionable at best. Yeah. All right. So we were talking about uh, Bob Hieronymus. We were talking about some of the de- some of his claims and him him trying to cast doubt on the uh, Patterson film. But then there were other people that cast doubt on on his story. Correct. As well. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of red flags in his story and a lot of things that statements that he made. When people checked into his statements, they found a lot of holes, a lot of inconsistencies. And, and unfortunately, he's never been able to go back to the film site or take any ba- anybody back to the film site where supposedly he walked in the monkey suit. Yeah. Uh, he has no idea how to get there. And there's a lot of other things that he's stated over the years that just don't make sense and don't add up. So even his story is questionable. Yeah, I'm I'm a lot like you. I'm I'm always on the fence about that video. On the one hand, I've seen um, like big time Hollywood special effects people who have reviewed it and said if it was a fake, it was done incredibly well. But on the other hand, I've I read uh, these reports where Roger had been trying to produce a film and had a budget for a film where he was going to make some sort of it was a, a fictional thing about Bigfoot. And that never happened, and then he suddenly stumbled across this Bigfoot in the woods and filmed it. Yeah, that's correct. He was out in the forest in Bluff Creek filming for a documentary movie that he wanted to put out there on Bigfoot. So that's why he was there. They were looking for Bigfoot, and they were out there filming for a film that he was trying to make. Um, There's been some contention over the years that a costume maker in North Carolina by the name of Philip Morris was the actual creator of the costume. Um, Philip swears up and down that he provided the, the suit made of horsehair to Roger for the, the Patterson-Gimlin film. But when he tried to recreate the suit uh, based on what he sold to Roger, it looks nothing at all like the creature in the video. It's right. really poor replication. Uh, yeah, it looks like a suit. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, it really does. It really does. And there was other people that came forward, like John Chambers, for example. He worked on the Planet of the Apes movie. Um, and they had him look at the film, and he said, none of my people, none of my special effects people did that. That's a pretty impressive fake if it is a fake. It looks too real. Right. They got a hold of Walt Disney and the Disney Corporation and approached them, because back then, that's the only two people that were possibly able to replicate something like that or create a suit like that. And both of them denied having anything to do with um, making a suit or being involved in the, the film. Right, exactly. And you're talking about somebody, the Planet of the Ace movie. I mean, I think that that guy won the Academy Award. So we're talking about some, you know, these were guys who were serious in their craft. They were pretty talented. I, I want to ask, too, about, you, you know, Bigfoot is one of those things that, you know, normally when someone thinks of Bigfoot, or even when I think of Bigfoot, um, you normally think of the Pacific Northwest. You think about, you know, California, Oregon, Washington State. Uh, primarily as the areas where he is. But Bigfoot is sighted in the eastern United States. Right. And you're in Pennsylvania. We're in Tennessee. And uh, I'm just curious, is there any differences between the sightings that go on in the eastern United States as opposed to the western and maybe like the behavior of the of Bigfoot as well? Well, there there are a little bit uh, of differences. Not much, but a little bit. Um, some of the reports we get here in the eastern United States on the east coast, down the Appalachian mountain range, um, talk of the creature being a little more aggressive. Yeah. And what I mean by that is uh, not necessarily attacking people, 
but posturing more of a defensive type of behavior, uh, throwing rocks and sticks, um, bluff charges, just its demeanor growling and roaring at people, where in the Pacific Northwest, they seem to be more of a shy, elusive type of creature that when they're sighted or approached or they have an encounter with man, they tend to turn it and head the other direction pretty quickly. Uh, While here in the East, they seem to stay around. And I I know of reports where they've uh, attacked uh, domesticated animals, dogs and cats. They've broken into chicken coops and stolen chickens. They've attacked turkeys, deer, um, farm animals. So it tends to be a little more aggressive here in the eastern United States. We're not sure why. We can speculate as to why we think they are, but they, they, that's what we, we tend to find. Plus, we, we're tending to find that the, um, the, the description of the creature is a little different. Here in the, United, here in the eastern United States, they're um, described as thinner, almost leaner, um, anywhere from seven to eight, maybe eight and a half foot tall. Um, and the color is usually a brown or reddish brown. Out on the Pacific Northwest, they're much larger creatures, um, anywhere from 7 to 10 or 11 feet tall, much broader shoulders. Uh, people describe them as uh, having the physique of a bodybuilder or um, a football player with all its gear on. Um, that's hmm. the description. Yeah, so there's a little bit of difference between the, the two coasts. The reason I ask that is because I've heard some odd things about uh, the eastern Bigfoot sightings. Um, there was a book uh, that I have here by Jerome Clark. You may be familiar with it where he talks about uh, unexplained like physical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about in, in the statement that he makes in this book is the further east that you go on some of these sightings, the more just bizarre they are. And the actual phraseology that he uses is, the further east you go, the more you enter into the goblin universe, quote-unquote. And I was just curious if there was any more, like, uh, supernatural kind of elements that uh, may be involved um, in in some of these sightings. Um, There are a lot of cases of high strangeness in the east coast, um, more so than in the west coast or anywhere around the country. Why that is, I honestly don't know. Um, I know here in Pennsylvania, I mentioned at the beginning of the show in 73 and 74, there was a flap of sightings. That flap of Bigfoot sightings occurred shortly after there was a large flap of UFO sightings. And there were even witnesses who claimed seeing UFOs and Bigfoot either together at the same location or shortly after one another, whether it was the UFO first and the Bigfoot or Bigfoot and then the UFO. And that was quite common here in Pennsylvania in the 1970s. And we still get cases of high strangeness out here from time to time. Some things that we just can't explain. The, the tracks that just mysteriously go. Or people claim that they see a Bigfoot walking across the field and it just suddenly disappears. And I'm not talking stepping behind a tree or into a, a tree line to disappear. It's there one second and then it's gone. So we get these cases. We, we don't know what to make of them because no animal that I'm aware of has any of those physical capabilities of disappearing or hiding that well that people can't see it anymore when it should be right in plain sight, or even hiding its tracks in the snow. That's right. just impossible for any animal that we, we're aware of. But we're learning more and more as science evolves and, and discovers things that there are other dimensions that uh, we coexist with. I believe there's 12 or 13 they've discovered, and that lends to the, uh, uh, how do you want to say it politely, 
Um, the fringe theory that maybe Bigfoot may be interdimensional and leaving our dimension for another dimension. What are some of the some of the aspects that the the Native Americans uh, talk about Bigfoot? It seems very much that, that that those two connect that they that they see Bigfoot as more like a spiritual creature. Well, that's that's exactly it. Some of the tribes do feel that Bigfoot is a spiritual being, um, kind of like a a guardian of the forest or of the forest animals that protects the forest. Uh, the Lenny Lenape tribe here in Pennsylvania. Um, have uh, one of their tales that Bigfoot shows up at the time of um, ecological disaster or about when it's about to occur. It shows mm. to protect the land and protect the animals. And when people start having uh, an abundance of sightings, they feel something bad is going to happen to the uh, ecology, whether it be uh, a storm or man-made disaster or something along those lines. While other tribes, they, as you said, feel that it's more of a spiritual being and it can coexist peacefully with their tribe, and, and they do coexist. And then there are other tribes that feel that it's not necessarily a spiritual being, but more of a, another tribe of Native Americans, a wild tribe of Indians, if you will. And right. uh, there's even stories that Native Americans tell of these animals being cannibalistic. So they, in turn, warn their children, stay out of the woods, or the uh, Buqua is going to come and get you and put you in the back of its basket, and, and take you off into the forest at night. So stay in the stay in the uh, the village. Don't go outside the village at night. Is there any possible connection to to Bigfoot and say something like the Wendigo? Um, it could be connected because uh, folklore kind of tends to cross that, that line. It's a shade of gray, so to speak, where mis- misinterpretation or someone's interpretation of what a Wendigo is versus a Bigfoot can be skewed. And, and it, they may be talking about a Wendigo when, in fact, it is a Bigfoot. Or they may be talking about a Bigfoot when, in fact, it is a Wendigo, more of a right. spiritual being. From my understanding of what, what the Wendigo is, is it's the spirit of a deer that's uh, kind of combined with a person. And that's what people are seeing. It's, it's not even close to a Bigfoot. But it's all depends on mis, it's all depends on interpretation or misinterpretation. It, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the tribe up there in, in Pennsylvania uh, talking about uh, Bigfoot is almost like a, maybe like a harbinger of disaster or at least warning of disaster because that reminds me of the, the Mothman right. stuff. You know, the whole uh, collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant, West, West Virginia. Yep. And now for a year that there had all those been the strange sightings of Mothman. Well, that's, that's extremely interesting. It is. And it's funny, after the Silver Bridge collapsed, a lot of the sightings just completely died down. Right, yeah. It 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 it, it didn't happen as as often. It's like there it was just like this build up to that. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about you, kind of like your personal experiences. Like, what have you, um, what have you experienced yourself, and some of the investigations that you that you've been on? Well, I haven't had many. Um, I've had a few that I just can't explain, and a lot of them are strange sounds that I hear in the forest at night. Yeah. When I do my research, there, I, I try to familiarize myself with all wildlife and you know their sounds, their habits. And I've I've been a hunter and a fisherman and outdoorsman for over twenty plus years. And and I'm not an expert. I'm not a zoologist. I'm not you know I don't have any degree in biology or anything like that. I'm just a, an average guy who goes out in the woods and and spent, likes to spend time outdoors. And I try to learn what animals sound like. But I've also learned on the flip side of the coin that 
they animals can make some really really strange sounds that you've never heard before and it can scare the living bejesus out of you right so right i've heard things in the woods that i can't explain and it leaves me scratching mm-hmm. my head but as far as sounds go it could be anything until i see a bigfoot open its mouth and make that sound it's just an unexplained experience and i've had plenty of those our my co-host luke who's not here tonight he uh he grew up in the country around here in Tennessee, and he said that one time he heard a bobcat scream. Oh, they're terrifying. And he said that it just literally it scared him. It scared the crap out of him. Yeah. yeah, and fox screams. If you're not familiar with what a fox sounds like when it screams, and you're out there in the woods, a lay person or just somebody out there doing recreational camping or whatever, and they hear that, it's going to scare you because it's, it's loud. It's high pitch, and it fits a lot of what people describe. They, oh, we hear the woman screaming like she's being murdered. Well, how do you know it's a Bigfoot? You know, it, yeah. It's a common animal. It could be a screech owl. It could be a bobcat, a cougar. It could be a fox. <clears throat> said a lot of animals make some strange noises that you just never heard before, and it's pretty, pretty frightening, especially when you're in the dark. <laughs> and then if you take into account that... You know, animals have their base noises they normally make. You know, who knows what kind of noises they make when they're, you know, in jeopardy or in pain or... Stress. Any kind of stress, exactly. Like, <laughs> Yeah, or mating, exactly. I mean, hell, <laughs> domestic cats sound, like, you know, horrible. I mean, that's just... <laughs> yeah, pretty scary. Pretty scary. But I, I've had those audible experiences, but I've also had other experiences that I can't explain um, I'll give you an example. Uh, 2009, I was in central Pennsylvania in a very mountainous forested area. I was out with uh, three or four of the researchers in our research area about probably 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And uh, we're the only ones out there. We didn't tell anybody. We just, hey, Eric. I, can okay. you hear me? It's, yeah, it's, just, it's cutting in and out still, but I think, we'll, I think we're okay. Okay. Uh, as I was saying, um, we were in an area that was uh, pretty remote. A mountainous forested area there were four researchers along with myself and we had gone to this area to do our research at night uh, we didn't tell anybody where we were going we didn't tell them when we would be there so somebody being in that area the, the odds were pretty low right uh, while we were out there something in the woods we could hear it moving around breaking branches from time to time but it was very methodical about how it was moving around and at that time, we just kind of ruled it out as you know, possibly a deer or bear or other animal in the forest. And we were leaning that way until the rocks started flying at us. Uh, we mm. rocks flying at us from three different directions. And we were actually standing on a clear-cut uh, gas well line uh, set up. We had a little lawn chair set up and recording equipment and night vision uh, goggles. And I had my thermal infrared camera with me. And we had all this equipment set up. And we would hear these noises in front of us and our attention would be drawn to the front and we'd be looking with all the equipment and everything and then a rock would come flying at us from behind and where we were sitting on the clear cut there was a metal fence put up um, the game commission uh, the, the rangers put up this fence to keep deer out of this specific area because they wanted the um, the new growth to grow and, and not allow any damage from the deer so there was a fence behind us we could hear the rocks coming through the trees and actually hitting the fence making that metal tinging noise when it hit so we turn around and look in the opposite direction, and while our backs were towards where we heard the, the breaking of the branches, rocks would start coming from that direction towards us. Almost like it was whatever was out there was playing a game with us. You know, here, look, look my way, and we turn around to look that way, and when we were paying attention to that way, the rocks would come from the opposite direction. And that happened 
for about an hour and a half that night off and on. We never did see anything on the night vision. The thermal showed no signs of any wildlife out there, but these rocks continued for almost an hour and a half from all different directions. And that was just like one weekend of, of three or four weekends that we had that experience up there in 2009. See, so the rock, the rock throwing thing is, is something that I've heard many times from different investigators. Uh, like uh, that, that, that seems to be like a common behavior uh, as if they're almost trying to just like get you out of their territory in order to. I think know, other great apes to, do yeah. that too. Yeah, the chimpanzees do that when the large predators in the area, like a, a cougar or a panther, they'll sit in the trees and throw rocks and sticks at it to drive it off. Yeah. So yeah, I can't say that it was a bigfoot that was throwing these rocks at us, but I really don't have an explanation as to what was doing it, or even if it was somebody doing it. We didn't see anybody. We just had these rocks coming at us from different angles, and uh, it was pretty repetitive. Uh, every ten or fifteen minutes, another rock would come towards us, and. And I wouldn't have believed it myself if I would have been there by myself. I probably would have never said anything. But with three other researchers, four of us, including myself, there, and we all experienced it, we all witnessed it, that's pretty compelling. Yeah, especially since it's an hour and a half. I mean, that's a long time to be have rocks being thrown. Yeah. And, and a funny little side note to that, uh, on our second trip to that area, one of the researchers that went with us was unpacking his gear from his bag and he pulled out a hard hat. And we all kind of laughed at him. He said, I'm getting hit in the head this time. <laughs> <laughs> so had he said that he had he been hit in the head before by somebody throwing rocks or I don't know whatever if, throwing rocks? I don't know if he did or not, but uh, huh. he put a hard hat with him and he was pretty adamant he was going to wear it. Wow. <laughs> uh, did you want to ask anything, Rob? No, no. Okay. I, I kind of wanted to turn to something interesting um, that has been coming coming up in some different uh, places, and that is this idea that this is something we've talked about on the show before: the idea of the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. And I think as you've had La Marzulli on your show, mm -hmm. and um, this kind of relationship or equating Bigfoot with the Nephilim or the ancient giants. Do you think that there's anything possibly to that? Or is this just equating something that really two different things that really don't belong together? To be perfect to tie them to it or not, uh, there's biblical language and, and um, scripture it's written that people interpret as Bigfoot possibly being the Nephilim. I, I mean, in the book of Genesis, there were giants in the land. Um, so they talk about giants all throughout the Bible. Are they related yeah. to the Nephilim? We really don't know. It's all speculation, and it's all hypothesis. No one, as far as I'm aware of, and no disrespect to L.A. Marzulli, he's done some fantastic research, but I haven't seen any proof to tie the two together. Um, right. For me, it's an interpretation based on what he's reading. Um, am I wrong? Very possibly. He could be right for all I know. But I, I haven't seen any physical evidence to tie the two together. It's one of those weird theories and, and fringe theories that people bring up. And there might be truth to it. I, I honestly don't know. 
Yeah, it seems like a very a very interesting amalgamation of a couple of different like weird conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It, kind it, of, it is compelling. It does kind of fascinate me that just about every culture has these kind of myths, and there's also you know references and you know there has been like there's you know they've they've uncovered like the where was it where they found all the the huge bones. They were people. They were humans. They were just like extraordinarily tall for the age that they lived or whatever and right yeah they, they still uncover a lot of those uh skeletal remains that are, are different than normal human remains they're elongated legs and arms and right basically what people call skeleton giants yeah uh, they're, they're being found more and more often i mean they even have a television show out now i believe it's on either discovery or history channel that has two guys going out actively looking for these uh, hello can you hear me yeah i can hear you now all right uh also i wanted to talk about you know some of the, like, the other cryptids that are around sure um like uh the, the dogmen the reptoids um what other kind of stuff that uh, besides bigfoot have you have you studied um, I, I look into all cryptozoology, um, animals or cryptids, if you want to call them that. I'm, I'm fascinated by them. Um, I don't know if I call a reptoid necessarily a cryptid. Yeah. Um, I think it falls in line more with an alien species or alien race. Um, there are people out there that speculate they see them and they have encounters with them. And, and they are one of the races of aliens that have visited this planet. I have not seen any proof of that. So a lot of the theories that are out there are just that, theories and speculation. Um, as far as the dogman goes, uh, there are a lot of sightings as people claim that they're seeing an upright walking canid. Um, uh, Linda Godfrey has done some fantastic work documenting and uh, retelling some of these encounters and stories. Um, a good friend of mine, Jay Bachochin, up in the Wisconsin area, does some research into the dogman phenomenon. Personally, I think what people are seeing may be a Bigfoot, and they're just misidentifying it. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible. But then again, we don't, we don't know what all is still out there on this planet, although the scientific community and a lot of the skeptics say we've identified every animal out there. I disagree with that. I think there's still a lot to be discovered. You know, I heard this um, interesting interview uh, Darkness Radio did with this lady that lives somewhere actually here in the South and she won't say where, but she lives out on this, uh, apparently at the end of this cul-de-sac in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And she apparently has been having issues with Bigfoot coming up to her house. She says that she sees Bigfoot out like on, in the woods, um, has recorded calls, and says that there's actually three different kinds. There's like a large, taller Bigfoot, a shorter kind of Bigfoot, and then there's like a dogman species. Have you heard of this this uh, of this lady? I can't remember the, the actual name of the person, but yeah, um, she wrote a book called A Hundred Nights of Bigfoot." Yes, and I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but it's not her real name. It's actually a, a suit yeah. name for uh, or, or pen name, for the book right? That she wrote, and she lives somewhere in the South. Yes. I'm guessing she lives down in Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, that area, but there's no way to tell. Only Dave knows, and he's not disclosing that information, which yeah, completely respect. But 
she brings up a lot of things and she says she has video footage and audio footage and the audio footage I've listened to the audio recordings is pretty compelling. I find it interesting, but looking at the video footage, there's just nothing there for me to see. Yeah. Does it seem like it's like blobs and, or maybe uh, you're actually looking at trees when you're, and they're saying that it's Bigfoot. Yeah. To me, it's just another story. Um, She has no, definitive proof of what's going on on her property or around her house is legitimate. Um, She's telling a story. She wrote a book about it and and very well might be going on on her property. But to be honest with you, what I've heard and seen doesn't convince me that there's a Bigfoot or Dogman or any kind of that creature going on. It might be another one of those cases where it's a misidentification of common wildlife. Yeah. Or could it just be wishful thinking, maybe? Perhaps. Perhaps and there's a lot of that, unfortunately, in this field. Um, imagination run wild and, and misidentification, misinterpretation, wishful thinking. Th- that happens. But I've never spoken with the woman. I, I don't know her story other than what's been retold on Darkness Radio. I have not read the book. I've watched some of the videos. and I've listened to some of the audio recordings. And although they're intriguing, they could be common animals that we're just not identifying. Like I mentioned earlier, animals make a lot of weird sounds in the forest. Right, be misidentifying them. And she said something too about how when they moved there, that the 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 house itself was in was pretty much destroyed. Uh, there were like holes in the wall and things like that. And I, I just felt like I don't know. I mean, that okay, that could be Bigfoot, possibly. It, it could <laughs> also just be kids going in there and destroying a, an empty house, mm-hmm. or it could have been former owners. Yeah, and she's that there. She had mentioned that the people there were not, uh, you know, the best kind of people, even. Yeah, they could not be. I mean, as far as I know, or what I was familiar with, they weren't too forthcoming with what happened to them at that house. So she's yeah. making a lot of assumptions and a lot of speculation based on things that she thinks is Bigfoot, and it, it could be something else. She's not remaining objective. And as far as I'm aware, she hasn't ruled out um, the other possibilities. So hmm. I can't really talk on her case other than hearing what I heard on Darkness Radio and seeing the videos and the audio. So it's just my opinion that there might be something going on there that isn't Bigfoot or Dogman related. Uh, I'm not saying that this lady's case is, but I think this is a good place to talk about the uh, the hoaxes that are perpetrated. Um, it, you know, one of the reasons why that I have, I mean, I used to really think, okay, that there was a possibility that Bigfoot could exist. I mean, you know, you look at a place like the Pacific Northwest, it's vast. You have a ton of, uh, a a ton of forest up there that is basically uh, as yet unexplored. You know, you think about, well, you know, it's the United States, one of the most industrialized countries in the world. You know, we should have everything mapped out. Well, that's really not the truth. Um, and that Bigfoot, you know, a creature like that could hide up there. But in 2008, when that whole, uh, they had Bigfoot on ice thing, the two guys supposedly in Georgia mm-hmm. killed Bigfoot, oh, had yeah. him on ice. And it turned out to be a, a suit and someone, someone even like I think they posted it to Coast to Coast AM. They showed the picture of it, and somebody even said, "That's my suit that I make." Yes. Uh, and then this guy that uh, what's his name, Tom Biscardi, 
that was out there uh, supporting these guys. And then after it was revealed that, uh, yeah, it's a hoax, the Tom Biscardi actually left the country for a time, which I found <laughs> to be interesting. And then, <laughs> uh, uh, like, I don't know, what it was like a year or so ago, this one of the same guys that perpetrated the, ho- the, the hoax in 2008 uh, said that he had Bigfoot on ice again, and he was charging people to come look at it. <laughs> so just what I'm just curious what maybe perpetrates this whole culture of of, of hoaxing in in the field of Bigfoot, and it, it really I think does damage to people that are actually really trying to understand what's going on. Yeah, it does. Uh, Rick Dyer is the gentleman you were talking about. Matt Witten came out in 2008 and and did exactly what you said. They claimed they shot a Bigfoot in the Georgia mountains, North Georgia mountains, and they drug it back and put it in garbage bags and started making YouTube videos, which became viral, and they got a lot of attention. Biscardi got involved, went down to Georgia, confirmed they had a body in ice, and the guy that um, saw the suit online when they released the pictures from CNN and MSNBC and all the major news net- networks was a guy who owned a, uh, still owns a website called uh, Terror Dome, and they sell Bigfoot costumes. Yeah. He recognized it, and he said, that's my costume. And a lot of Bigfoot <laughs> behind the scenes were digging into this phenomenon. We were trying to get to the bottom of it. And Steve Calls was one of the leading researchers on this case that uh, really proved. He was actually with Biscardi's team at the time. And he was on site when they defawed the body and found that it was nothing more than a costume filled with entrails and guts and possum. <laughs> awful crap, basically. <laughs> Humphrey bought it. I mean, they bought it hook, line, and sinker because people want so badly for something like that to exist. <clears throat> Even the media yeah. bought it. So 2008 came and went. The, the hoax of the, the century, literally, um, was perpetrated. Um, it was short-lived, fortunately, because people recognized that it was a hoax pretty quickly due to the costume and a few other things. Jump ahead to 2009. Rick Dyer, still active in hoaxing, claims he has shot and killed another Bigfoot. Then in 2011, he claimed he got a permit from the Canadian government to go to Canada. He produced documentation showing that he had this permit to go to Canada and hunt and kill a Bigfoot. That was a false... Uh, statement by him and the, the documents were were fabricated yeah 2012 um he claims that while uh following up on a sighting that took place actually it was a 911 call that took place in um, san antonio um, he went down to this uh, section of woods behind a home depot where this homeless family there's a homeless camp there this homeless family claimed they had a bigfoot there so he went down there and uh out saying i was in my tent well first he released the video and never put any name to it then it was quickly found out it was him uh the famous tent video was released showing the supposed bigfoot outside a tent that turns and looks at him as he's filming with his iphone and uh he's acting all scared and stuff Uh, (laughs) yeah it's part of the this big elaborate hoax to come yeah and um he went forth and uh put that that picture out there that video out there and it turns out he was working with uh, um morgan matthews i believe his name was a filmmaker from uh england who was doing a film on bigfoot researchers and that was part of the film uh the film was actually called shooting bigfoot <laughs> <laughs> it, it got 
more and more as Rick's a big attention seeker. He's a sociopath and an attention seeker. And he keeps doing perpetrating these hoaxes for attention. He makes money off of people by selling. Well, it keeps working. If it, if, if yeah. it didn't keep working, he'd probably stop. Yeah. Um, and people keep buying his hoaxes. That's why he keeps doing it, because he's making money right. off of the gullible people that want so badly to believe. Um, and it got so far in his 2012 hoax that he went out and hired a special effects artist from Washington State to build a Bigfoot prop. And he told this guy, I'm making a movie. I want a prop for the movie. So the guy did it and made it very, very realistic looking. Uh, it fooled a lot history and his past hoaxes a lot of us um objective researchers and those who are trying to solve this for the legitimacy of it we were quick to say hey rick's back it's it's nothing more than a fabrication meanwhile yeah. the media jumped all over and bought it hook line and sinker again um, a lot of the general public that aren't familiar with rick dyer or those who want so badly to believe jumped on it he was he took this prop that he picked up from washington state with this huge story that it was at a university in Washington State, and they were doing DNA tests, and they had proof. Hank Williams. Yeah. That, that, Hank Williams. Yes. It, it cut out. Sorry. It was one of those sponsors paying for all this testing. Hence, Really? That's what he claimed. <laughs> that's what he claimed. Hence the name of Hank, his stuffed prop. He called it Hank after <laughs> Hank Williams Jr. I wish okay. it was Ted Nugent. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, this hoax kept getting bigger and bigger, and, and us objective and legitimate researchers are sitting there just shaking their head going, please, God, somebody strike him down with lightning and get it over with. He took this prop down to um, Arizona and began to tour it around Arizona, charging 20, 25 bucks a pop for people to come in and see it. Um, he ended up in Texas at a, um, I believe it was called the Alamo Steakhouse, where he had two nights where he showed a Bigfoot movie and had people come. 1,500 people come in and look at this Bigfoot paying $20 a person Maybe like thirty six hundred, almost four thousand dollars on just having people come in and look at this prop, and it, yeah. literally making hand over fist money, um, taking it wherever he went, showing it off and displaying it, and meanwhile being arrogant, cocky, claiming he was the best Bigfoot hunter in the world, and us legitimate researchers knew all along he was full of crap. And finally, somebody found out who the legitimate uh, special effects artist was. They put a big hole in his theory that it was real. They blew him out of the water. And with all the other evidence and all the other red flags, he finally came forth and admitted, yes, it was a hoax. I hoaxed you again, and I'll do it again. And then he took the prop and sold it on eBay for, like, thousands of dollars. <laughs> this is this uh, this apparently is this generation's uh, P.T. Barnum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it went on for years, and people bought it hook, line, and sinker. And that's the, the biggest problem that we have today is uh, trying to remain honest and trying to keep our integrity as researchers because we have so many of these hoaxers out there yeah. perpetrating crap like this. You know, right. I'm working hard. Other legitimate researchers are working hard to get to the bottom of this mystery to prove it is real or it's not real. And meanwhile, you've got idiots like Rick Dyer and, and guys like Tom Biscardi out there who are making all these outrageous claims and, and hoaxing and, and doing all this crazy stuff. And the general public sees that because that makes the news media. What we do as researchers doesn't. Um, we're out right. in the field collecting footprints, taking eyewitness testimony, looking for physical evidence. That doesn't make the local news. What makes the local news are the outrageous and, and um, the stories that are so crazy and so outlandish. It's, it's sensationalism is what it is, and that sells newspapers. Well, you know, Biscardi, even before the 2008 thing, 
he had uh, he had had some some issue, some other kind of mm-hmm. problem. That and, and, and but there's people out there that still think that Biscardi is like the like they worship the guy. Yes, and there there are a lot of people that do. Um, Tom is a businessman. He'll make no bones about it. He's very passionate about trying to solve the ministry, but he's a businessman. And he wants to make money off of this. So his reputation is questionable at best when it comes to, and even if he wasn't involved in any hoaxes, his reputation and his arrogance and cockiness would really give a bad taste to anybody that knows who Tom Scardi is. The general public that only see him once in a while and they hear some of his stories and don't do the research on it and don't look into the background of Tom Scardi, I mean, they're, they're like buying it hook, line, and sinker like they did with uh, Rick Dyer. And yeah. people don't know this, but there was a filmmaker named Rick, uh, um, Marks, Ivan Marks, back in the early, late 1970s, early 1980s, that put three feature-length films out there, fictional films. He claimed they were real and claimed they had Bigfoot in them, when in fact it was his wife Peggy Marks in a, in a really bad costume. <laughs> <laughs> Some terrible Bigfoot movies. Rent. Baby, just walk through the woods. I need you to walk through the woods in the costume. Rent Legend of Bigfoot in the Shadow of Bigfoot by Ivan Marks. Watch them. You'll laugh incredibly hard. <laughs> never guess who Ivan Marks was the mentor of and who was a production person in that film. Take a guess. Tom Biscardi? Yep. Wow. <laughs> so so these, these guys are just like showmen. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. That's what they are. And, and Tom's very good at it. And he has a radio show, and he goes around television programs. He does travel around the country. I'll give him that. And he has several films out there, and he, he makes money off of it. He's a businessman. Um, well, l- let me ask you about, and I know that you, I think on your show that you have spoken to some of these people. Um, do you think that shows like Finding Bigfoot and Mountain Monsters, which is just hilarious, by the way, <laughs> uh, do you think that those shows hurt? Or help the, I was the Bigfoot field. Ask that. yeah. That's a good question. It's a double-edged sword. Um, it's great that the subject matter is getting out there to the public. There, it's not as taboo as a subject as it once was. People aren't so hesitant about coming forward and talking about their encounters or their reports or sharing them. Um, it's a little more accepted, so that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's captured the, the imagination of the public much like it did in the early '80s and the late '70s. But it's also bad because as much as I love the guys from Finding Bigfoot, Cliff and Bobo, Matt, they are legitimate Bigfoot researchers. They've done it for okay. a long, long time. Um, yeah. They're a member of the Bigfoot Field Research Organization. Well, at least Matt is. He founded it. Renee is a biologist. She's a, um, an aquatic biologist, marine biologist, a life biologist on the show. What happens to them in the forest is production work. It's all based on ratings. People, let's face it, you guys know as paranormal investigators, if you sit in a house uh, for hours on end and nothing happens, it's boring. Right. It's entertainment. Exactly. That's what it boils down to. The show is entertainment, and it's driven to uh, draw ratings for the advertisers, and it makes them happy. When they're they're getting 14 or 15 million people watching Finding Bigfoot, um, the revenue is going out the door like wildfire. And that's what they do. They want something to build show and then well next week we'll be going to pennsylvania where this so supposedly happened and then the pennsylvania ap- episode the same thing happens they build up to a suspenseful moment and nothing happens and you're on to the next show and they 
And to be honest, if they found Bigfoot by now, the show would be called Found Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot, Bigfoot's found. Well, it's funny. I, I, I still watch that show, and my girlfriend makes fun of me. She's like, maybe they'll find him tonight, Rob. <laughs> it's like, did you hear that? What was that? But in all, in all honesty and in defense of those guys, they have had some encounters out there in the forest that they can't explain. Um, I talked to Cliff. Cliff's a good friend of mine, and I've talked with him about it. On that very first episode when they were in North Carolina and they, they thought they filmed something on the hill, they didn't show it on camera, but they, Cliff feels they, they really filmed the Bigfoot in thermal on the hillside, and Matt went chasing off after it. They never showed it on the show, but uh, stuff like that happens on the show. They, they, they find footprints they think are legit, or they have the actual rocks thrown at them, or the wood knocks. Most of the stuff doesn't make it to the show, um, but they do have their experiences out there. Yeah. For the Mountain Monsters show, <laughs> um, the guys are great. They really are. They're down-to-earth guys. I've had the chance to talk with Trapper um, in person, and um, we've tried several times to get him on our show, but he has had to cancel, unfortunately. But he's a nice guy. They all seem like very nice guys, very down-to-earth uh, guys. I have nothing bad to say about them personal-wise. But the show really has me scratching my head and really wondering how can they let this stuff on TV, especially when you ask Rapper, is this stuff legitimate? And he says, yes, it's legitimate. <laughs> I like the guy that needs subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, I mean, the one where they're... The, but they weren't looking for sheep squatch. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had to really just like check myself to see if I was just watching something that was utterly fake and was just comedy. Yeah. But, but because I mean, it was literally, I mean, it, it, it just, it was just kind of silly. And, it and also too, I, I, I really hope that those, that their, those rifles are not loaded because <laughs> you've got guys walking through the woods, like, you know, jumping at every sound and pointing rifles and they're going to shoot each other. Well, <laughs> I showed they're very well versed in handling rifles, and they're very yeah. safe. They, they are supposedly loaded, um, but they're very safe when they handle them, and they don't just shoot at anything. If any, <laughs> um, it's funny about the sheep squatch though. Um, prior to Mountain Monsters ever being filmed or released for the show, I was called by a producer from Destination America, okay. Blue, one day saying, "Hey, can we talk to you about an, an animal that's being reported in West Virginia in the Virginia area?" I said, sure, I'll be happy to talk to you. Have you ever heard of sheep squatch? <laughs> a sheep what? <laughs> a sheep squatch. And I said, I've been doing this a long, long time, and I've never heard of a sheep squatch. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a cross between a sheep and a Bigfoot. And I'm laughing at the woman. I was like, are you serious? Oh, yeah, people are seeing it all over down there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Where sheep? <laughs> and some of these creatures they come out with, uh, some of them are actual cryptid creatures that I've seen, like the Snallygaster, for example. Uh, yeah. But the 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 fire dragon, uh, I'm like, um, no. <laughs> oh, and some of the other creatures they run into, it's more legend and myth than they are real animals. And right. The right. thing that annoys me about the show, and, and I, it's a guilty pleasure. I'll be the first to admit it. I watch. Oh, it. me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I sit there and I, I giggle and I laugh and I get mad and I go back to giggling and laughing. But the thing that gets me about the show is every week they go out, they know exactly where to go. They have people presenting evidence that is questionable at best, but they're presenting evidence. 
they have these encounters where this thing is right there on top of them. They're in an area for about five to seven days filming, and they know exactly where to go. They have conclusive proof. They have encounters night after night on their first night and their, their final night, and it's every week. And I can tell you from my personal experience being in the woods for 18 years, doing field research in the woods for 18 years, I can count on my left hand how many times I've had a questionable experience. Yeah. So, And I asked him about that. I asked Trapper Point Black to his face. I said, I've been doing this almost 20 years. How can you have the luck that you're having and have so many encounters going on where you go? I mean, is it just plain luck? He goes, oh, no, we know who to talk to and where to go. And I just kind of shut my mouth and just, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and another thing with those shows is that I know they're going out there with a full video crew, audio crew. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way to do that silently without disturbing every animal that's within five miles of you. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's always in the back of my mind when I'm watching the shows, too. Like, Yeah. yeah. Like, Their behavior I, in the forest is just, it's not the way you should behave if you're trying to find one of these animals. Kind of like I like that new what is it what's his name Les Stroud or whatever mm-hmm. Survivor Man Bigfoot. Oh yeah, that like, thing. Yeah. I enjoy his shows actually. I'm yeah, very I pleased the, the way he's handling this and the, the work he's doing. That's the way field field work should be done. Right. What I haven't seen the show. What is he? Is he? He goes out on his own with a camera and just does it. He's out in the woods. Okay. Like, yeah. Well, that's similar to the Ghost Stalker show that was on Destination America, which uh, which uh, the, I had those two guys on the show. And that was very similar. I mean, they went into they went alone into a haunted location, and uh, I thought, you know, that's that's the way it needs to be done. Exactly. Really, and that's what I, I commend less for is is uh, Rob's right. You're going out there, and he's by himself. Um, he goes into very remote areas. Um, now, a couple of the episodes he's had with uh, Todd Standing, another well-known hoaxer, have been very questionable, and even. Les admits this guy is very controversial and it's either real or it's a hoax. He'll, he'll be the first to admit it on the show. But when he goes out by himself to these areas, he's not coming back with evidence that's so um, skewed. I mean, if he hears a tree fall, he's going to say, I heard a tree fall. I, did, I didn't see what did it, but I heard a tree fall. Or if he hears yeah. a wood knock, I'm hearing wood knocks. I don't know what's doing it, but I'm hearing it. Uh, right. Reporting on what he's experiencing. And so far, I haven't seen anything on his show to prove yes or no is the Bigfoot's out there. He's had some really weird experiences, but he's remaining very objective and he's trying to get to the bottom of it the way real researchers should. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you about this case, uh, kind of turning away from the television stuff. I, I really want to get your opinion on this. Um, this. There was a case where these two guys apparently said they killed a juvenile Bigfoot. Apparently, after they killed it, they freaked out. This is according to them. They freaked out, covered the Bigfoot with a bunch of sticks and bush and brush, left, and then told another, I guess there was a Bigfoot researcher that they told him about, that they told about that this happened. They went back to the site and I think it had been a few days or something, and all they found were some were some pelts or like a little bit of hair that was later taken. And I think this may have been the Melba, Melba Ketchum thing, possibly, because they said that it was DNA tested. Uh, it, 
I thought that this was very like if they actually killed Bigfoot, and maybe it's just me knowing about the Bigfoot mythos and all these kind of things. Maybe it's just me, but I would at least be like, I'm taking the head. And I'm going to prove this thing once and for all that this creature is real, and I'm not going to panic. And it, it, it just the whole story seemed just just bizarre to me. It, it, you have any opinion on that? Yeah, that was Justin Smeha, um, right? In 2010. Okay. He his claim is that he and a buddy were out hunting bear in the Sierra Mountains of Northern California. They came around a bend and saw a monster, as they called it, um, standing about maybe 100, 200 yards away, maybe 300 at most. Um, this thing was standing there. It raised its arms up in the air and started walking towards them. Um, Justin opened his truck door, pulled a rifle out, and shot this thing right in the, the side and yeah. it down, and it took off and disappeared in the brush. And he went down after it, and when he got down there, two supposed juvenile Bigfoots came out of the brush and were darting in and out of brush and trees and stuff all around him. So one looked like it was coming at him. He shot it in the throat and killed it. He claims he held it up in his arms, was looking right in its face, a very human-like face. It bled all over him, all over his boots, all over his clothes, and it died. He claims he put it under a bush and left it there. They were afraid that the game warden would come around, um, saw that they shot this thing, and instead of cutting an arm off or taking the body or doing anything smart to prove what they did, they hightailed it out of Dodge. They jumped in the truck and left. Uh, they told their story to a couple of different researchers um, who, in turn, went back to the area about two or three weeks later. What they found was uh, a very decomposed, rotted carcass. Uh, okay. They called it Bigfoot steak at that time. They took a big chunk of meat and flesh and <laughs> turned it over to Melba Ketchum to have it studied, which it turned out, and they also turned it over to, to Brian Sykes as well, but it turned out that uh, sample was identified by... T- Canada and one in the United States, that it was bare. And yep. he had boots that had blood all over them. They had those boots tested. The boots were so contaminated and the blood was so dried and, and just they weren't able to get any samples from it. Now, a lot of people believed his story because he did pass a lie detector test. Okay. To me, a lie detector test can be beaten. Um, I've read stories where people can pass a lie detector test if they truly believe what they're telling. So as long as they're, right. believing they're telling the truth and they're saying what in their mind is the truth, they're going to pass that lie detector test. So to me, that's all it was, was him believing what he did. Um, there's no proof that he shot a Bigfoot. It's all speculation. Um, his story does have some questionable things that, in it that people ask him about, and he tends to get a little upset about uh, hmm. and a little defensive about. I don't know Justin. I've never met him. I've never talked to him, and I really don't want to talk to the guy, to be honest with you. I just don't believe his story. But um, there are people on both sides of the fence. Those are stand behind Justin. They've written some people have written books on it. They've put movies out on it, um, documentary films, uh, and other people just don't believe it. And I'm one of the people that just doesn't believe it. Yes, yeah, I, I saw the documentary where they they broke the news to him about the DNA evidence and and the blood from his boots and and all of that. And his his reaction was really kind of. I thought he was going to cry. Yeah, he was like, well, and it, and it wasn't like, oh, you're calling me a liar. It's like, oh, shoot, shucks, I've been called out. Like, yeah. that that was more what it read to me. Yeah, like, he had tears in his eyes like, um, oh, crap, I'm busted. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it, it makes me wonder that if if it's a story that was made up that they could have been covering for the fact that they might have been out there poaching. Mm-hmm. They claim they had bear tags. Okay. They claim. But if you had bear tags and you shot an animal that you thought may have been a bear and it was a bear, why would you take off from the mountain? They were yeah. something they shouldn't have been doing. What it is, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and he shot it in the throat and he was not that far away from it. And then he held it and watched it die, like, all tragically. Poor me. But I don't know. There, there's just a lot about that story. That yeah. There was a... a a YouTube um, television show, I think called Bigfoot Nation, that was put out recently, that he he had an expedition. He was charging people to take them out in the forest to, to show them the area where the supposed Bigfoot encounter happened, the shooting happened. And one guy that was there, um, he is, um, if I remember correctly, he's a, a wildlife firefighter. Um, and he was very skeptical of the story. He was asking some very legitimate, honest questions. And in the, the documentary on YouTube, Bigfoot Nation, Smea was getting upset about. It. He's like, "Why do you keep asking me these questions? What? What? You don't believe me, do you?" And the guy's like, "No, I just I'm trying to ask questions so I can understand your story." And he on camera, he said, "Here, take your money back and leave." And he tried to hand him back the money that the guy paid for the expedition. Wow, and getting defensive. Defensive is saying uh, lying, and if you don't believe me, you can you can get out of here. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Well. Uh- we're almost out of time, uh, Eric, but I want to talk about a little bit about your radio show, about Beyond the Edge, and also, you know, what you're currently working on, uh, maybe some of the investigations that you're that you're going on right now. Well, the investigations uh, I'm working on, um, I used to belong to a group called the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. And I was the director of that group for about 15 years and uh, decided, you know, I left the group. Uh, they're still in existence. They're still uh, functioning. But I'm, I'm kind of an independent researcher now, um, and I'm much happier being an independent. I don't have to run a whole group or worry about the different personalities. But being on my own um, and, and trying to make a name for myself on my own so I get the reports is kind of hard to do because I built up the PBS for 15 years and, and really got some good credibility and people filed reports. So I don't get a lot of reports just being a plain independent. Uh, So I started working with uh, Cliff Berrickman. Like I said, he's a good friend of mine. And any Pennsylvania reports that come into Cliff's website or are submitted to him, he in turn contacts me or says, hey, check out my my blog. Uh, There's a Pennsylvania report there. Can you check it out for me? And I'll in turn investigate the report for Cliff. Uh, I've also rejoined the Bigfoot Field Research Organization um, back in August as well. And I'm one of the investigators in Pennsylvania. So if reports are submitted to that I'm just a member, and I can grab that report and go check it out you know, for that group. So I'm doing investigations on my own as an independent and also working with other researchers. Plus, you know, anybody else in the field that wants to do research with me, I, I'd never turn anybody down. I'm always happy to work with anybody. Um, current cases, uh, I just investigated a case uh, in March of uh, two college guys that claim up in the uh, Pennsylvania New York state line um, had some encounters with rock throwing, finding footprints in the snow. This was back in March. Um, and uh, possibly even seeing a creature. And uh, that's a good five, four or five hours away from me, so I'm not able to get up there as quickly as I could. So I did pass the re- that report off to a researcher who's right in that immediate area to take a look at it. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I'm still active in research. I still get out there in the field, um, still following up on cases. But now I'm following up on cases for the guys from finding Bigfoot. So, okay, excellent. Pennsylvania and maybe in the little eastern, southeastern Ohio area. So I'm checking out those. Stuff. Um, as far as the radio show goes, um, yeah, Beyond the Edge Radio, we've been on. Um, this is our eighth season on the air. Wow. We took a, a couple months off. I took a break from it in August. And personal stuff. But uh, we relaunched in January. We've been on the air for well, about seven and a half year, years. Um, we've been on a talk all the way through uh, our latest, which is IPBN, Intrepid Paradigm. We're on Para-X, Planet Paranormal, um, and we have a pretty big announcement we're going to make tomorrow night on the next level of where the show is going and where we'll be broadcasting from. So we're looking forward to that. Excellent. We have, a, like your show, we have a variety of different topics and guests on this program that we talk with every week. Uh, we don't call ourselves a paranormal talk show, more of an alternative talk radio show because we cover a variety of subjects, not just paranormal. Um, and we've had... Everybody and anybody who's in the paranormal field on the show, um, from John Zaffis to your local researchers and you know, your, your neighborhood, uh, come on and talk with us. So, uh, still going strong after all these years. Yeah, we had Zaffis on last year. He's a he's a really really nice guy, really great guest. Yeah. Well, th- thank you, Eric, for coming on. Um, it's been it's been very enlightening. And Rob, you have anything to add? Or um, yeah, if we have. A minute. I wanted to talk about since we have a a cryptozoology guest on, which we okay. rarely do. Um, my favorite is the ring pendek. Just the whole fact that there was this local culture seeing this thing, scientists discrediting it, and then finding fossil evidence of a creature that totally fits the description living on this island. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably going to be the next uh, hominid or prime. A lot of good physical evidence out there in the in the tons, tons yeah. footprints, hair samples. Um, they actually have Cliff Berkman's heading up a, an orang pendek program. Um, Adam Davies, Matt Billy. There's a lot of uh, a lot of time in Sumatra I'm looking for the orang pendek. Um, my personal opinion, it's going to be the next primate that's going to be discovered. Yep, totally agree. So that's Indonesia, I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, as it, I mean, there are still. It's it's amazing to think that there are still animals that we have not found. Well, an interesting note, just to wrap things up, that people don't realize this, and, and even scientists don't realize this. About four or five years ago, a population of 125,000 lowland gorillas were discovered in South America. Right. Wow. They had no idea they were even there. So that, that goes to show that any kind of animal can be discovered at any time on this planet. We don't know every single inch of this planet. Right, especially a smart animal that doesn't want, to. want anything to do with us because they're smart. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric, for coming on. Uh, we're going to close out this segment, but uh, stay on the law for us just for a bit, and uh, we'll be right back on Conspiranormal. All right, all right, all right. We're back on Conspiranormal. That was a really good uh, interview with uh, Mr. Eric Altman. Yeah, that was great. He's. I like that we had a very, very objective guy for our cryptozoology episode. Yeah, yeah. It's like he he, he kind of came at it from kind of like a 
somewhat of a skeptical point of view. But right. Just like going out there and just kind of seriously investigating what's going on instead of just instead of just saying that something is something is happening and. Uh, and he had he, re- he really got heated when we started talking about all the like people that were hoaxers <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. You know, I thought that was I thought that was really thought that was really really interesting. Yeah, even his opinions on the the all the TV shows and the yeah yeah, and he has some uh, apparently some close associations with the TV shows too. Yeah, so it was good to hear yeah. it was good to hear that little bit of that opinion. And like you know, the the TV shows really are a double edged sword. I mean, I think they they. They bring awareness to these subjects to people, if it's like you know Bigfoot, like you know the ghost shows were first, and they brought a lot of awareness to people like ghosts. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, it almost makes it not only like even a serious. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not a serious scientific pursuit to most people, so you just think it's just all like propaganda and um, television magic, basically. Uh, you're talking about the orang pindek. I thought that was real. Uh, that's that's the one that fascinates me most. Just the fact that there was all these sightings and all this this these stories and stuff behind it. The locals claim they still see this thing out in the woods, and then scientists came and they found a species of hominid that just died off, you know, not that long ago from a historical yeah. standpoint yeah. of small three to four foot hominid. Related to humans, but distantly type of creature. Was it on the? Was it? Was it in Sumatra? Yeah, right there, there on the okay. same island where wow. these sightings are happening. Like, well, was that like the Hobbit thing? Yeah, that's the Hobbit people, yeah. and it's you know maybe it's just stories that have been handed down through generations and generations for thousands of years. Maybe these creatures still don't exist, but people have heard the stories long enough that they still psychologically like thinking about it and stuff. But but even that's an interesting kind of concept. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, well. Since you mentioned that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I wanted to read uh, something from one of my favorite books, and if you can see it, it's like really it's creased yep. in and You've read it. worn. And I, I've read this thing backwards and forwards. This is called from the book "The Mammoth Encyclopedia of the Unsolved" by Colin Wilson, who was a author that was into many many subjects. Uh, this is from his section on Bigfoot. It's interesting that you brought that up about the about the well the quote unquote hobbits and the association to Orang Pindek and the possibility that that these may have survived. Uh, what we're talking about here is the possibility of Neanderthal man surviving to the current time. Neanderthal man was a predecessor of modern man. He first seems to have appeared on Earth about 100,000 years ago. He was smaller and more ape-like than modern man, with a well-known receding forehead and simian jaw. He lived in caves, and the piles of animal bones discovered in such caves suggest that Neanderthal woman was a sluttish housewife, and that his habitation must have stunk of rotting flesh. This is interesting. He was also a cannibal. Now remember that Eric uh, mentioned uh, some of the traditions, the, the Native, Native American traditions, yeah. that Bigfoot was a cannibal. But he was by no means a mere animal. Coloring pigments in Neanderthal caves suggest that he loved color. He certainly wove screens of colored flowers. And since he buried these with his dead, it seems certain that he believed in an afterlife. Mysterious round stones found in his habitation suggest that he was a sun worshiper. Interesting thing, one of the 
one of the reasons why some researchers think that Bigfoot has not been found, why any bodies have been found, is they think the possibility that Bigfoot may bury their dead. Our ancestor Cro-Magnon man came on Earth about 50,000 years ago. It was he who made all the famous cave paintings. Neanderthal man vanished completely over the next 20,000 years, and the mystery of his disappearance has never been solved. The general view is that he was exterminated by Cro-Magnon man. The psychologist Stan Gooch advanced a startling thesis in his book The Neanderthal Question that Neanderthals were not entirely exterminated, but that their women occasionally bore children to Cro-Magnon males. The descendants of these products of crossbreeding became the Jews. It should be noted that Gooch is himself Jewish. I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> Gooch believes that Neanderthal man was more psychic than Cro-Magnon and that such psychic faculties as present-day man now possesses are inherited from these Neanderthal ancestors. Whether or not we can accept Gooch's theory, it seems reasonable to suppose that Neanderthal man may have survived, driven into the wilder and less hospitable places of the earth by his conqueror. Myra Shackley has traveled to the Altai Mountains of Mongolia and collected evidence for the existence of Almas. They live in caves, hunt for food, use stone tools, and wear animal skins and fur. And she mentions that in 1972, a Russian doctor met a family of Almas. In fact, Odette Chechernine cites a number of such stories. Professor Forshneff discovered again and again evidence among mountain people that they knew of the existence of wild men. The Abkhazians still have stories of how they drove the wild men out of the district they colonized. Tichernai refers to these wild men as pre-hominids. Porsifs himself investigated a case of a female Alma who had been caught in the Achamcher region in the mid-19th century. Hunters captured a wild woman who had ape-like features and was covered in hair. For several years in captivity, she was so violent that she could not be approached and food had to be thrown to her. They called her Zana. Porsef interviewed many old people. One was 105 who remembered Zana. They, would, they told him how she became domesticated and would perform simple tasks like grinding corn. She had a massive bosom, thick muscular arms and legs, and thick fingers. She could not endure warm rooms, preferred the cold. She loved to gorge herself on grapes in the vineyard and also enjoyed wine. She would drink heavily, then sleep for hours. <laughs> this may explain how she became a mother on several occasions to different fathers. Not disturbing in the least. No. Her children usually died because she watched them in the freezing river. Presumably having half-human characteristics, they lacked her tremendous inherited endurance of cold. Finally, her newborn children were taken away from her, and they grew up among the people of the village. Unlike their mother, they could talk and were reasonable human beings. The youngest of these died as recently as 1954. Zana died about 1890. Porsniff interviewed two of her grandchildren and noticed their dark skin and negroid looks. Charlie Kula, the grandson, had such powerful jaws that he could pick up a chair with a man sitting on it. Here it would seem a solid, undeniable evidence of the existence of wild men. Always found that story... <clears throat> really really fascinating it is fascinating and i watched a documentary recently about that they found really? some of the descendants of the zana and they're they, living now right okay and they did some testing and what they found out was because of you know modern g genetics and stuff the heritage was that she was actually um descended from a tribe near i believe it was south africa and had been, I don't know, kidnapped or, you know, 
taken from her home somehow and, and transplanted and that she that her descendants have the the same amount of neanderthal dna as the average person in the world which is like four to six percent right because there was because there was crossbreeding yeah, back there in was the day. crossbreeding they, they figured that out through d- the dna studies now. so it was basically yeah. it was somebody you know back then like they didn't have tv they didn't know what people in other areas looked like they didn't know what somebody from south africa looks like so somebody that looked that much different from them was just yeah this bizarre thing that people needed to come and see and, and check out and whatever so they so they think that she was a true she was a she was a tribe a member of a tribe from south africa yeah it, bring that you look that up on your phone yeah and bring that bring that because so, we're going to be back here tomorrow Right, we'll right. Bring that, and we'll talk about. We'll talk yeah, yeah. About I'll, that I'll, I'll find out who it was that did the, the studies and that. Yeah, because I've I've heard about that too, and I found that that's like that that's really that's really really interesting, but like apparently like they, they do say that they almost the, the, supposedly they exist in the area. The, the area they're talking about is like the the Caucasus Mountains mm-hmm. that are just like uh, where like Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia, those places are now. Right. Uh, and in Russia as well. Yeah, so really fascinating stuff there's so much man there's so much we don't know about like uh, like like human origins and what we're and and where we came from and like one of the things that i've always thought about bigfoot is that if bigfoot is a real thing and we actually found bigfoot we're actually able to capture him or find a dead body or something we could find out. We could maybe find out so much that Bigfoot may be just like a like a co- a, a close relative to humanity. Right. Well, because in in the early days of 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 Homo sapiens, we were sharing the planet with. Right. No one knows how many other species of hominids we just happened to win out. Like. Right. They're finding they're finding fossils all over the place of all these other species that could have been the dominant life form but died out. You know, were pushed out by us or. Or, or whatever happened. Like yeah. the Hobbit people and the giants and the, you know. It makes you wonder where some of our, um, if, like, the we talk about leprechauns and uh, little people are <clears throat> uh, giants, even. Uh, which I think we'll get another perspective on that tomorrow, but. And I think uh, another, another thing that's interesting to me is that, like, it might the reason that we're still seeing this stuff is because maybe it's ingrained in our psyche to to see that kind of you know we grew up as a, a species memory. right yeah. around like maybe these gigantopithecus and these other species and you know it's just it's still ingrained in our memory like if if giant cats had died out tens of thousands of years ago we might still be seeing giant cats around because we're you know we're programmed to see these predatory creatures and these other species that we're fighting with and it's like something that's there, but we don't we don't know about it. Right. Interesting. I, I've never thought about it in that in that respect. That's kind of the psychology of it all is kind of what fascinates me most about the the cryptozoology. Yeah. You should do a cryptozoology yourself, Rob. I should. You should be a cryptozoology <laughs> researcher. Go do the, the, the Percy Priest monster. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in the dog man on the show. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, well, we have Luke. That's kind of a cryptid. <laughs> he's, he's definitely a different species. <laughs> he's kind of turning into like Pan or something. I'm not sure exactly what, what Luke what Luke is anymore. Oh, we love Luke, and he should be here tomorrow. So, but well, we're gonna call it a night. Uh, 
Today, as we record this, is April 25th, Saturday. Uh, we are doing a show tomorrow night with Dr. Michael Heiser. And we are going to talk about, well, we just mentioned, uh, Nephilim giants. Um, I want to talk about with him some of his studies in the Divine Council uh, aspect. Uh, he is a professor of Semitic languages and of biblical history. And hopefully we may also have uh, Guy Malone joining us in the studio, which uh, those two guys are, are buddies. They know each other. And uh, I think it will be, be an interesting discussion. And also uh, want to touch on how Zachariah Sitchin was wrong. So stay tuned for that. And uh, also we may have some, we're probably going to have some special guests come on to the first part of the show. So I want to thank everybody for listening. And Rob, if there's nothing you want to add, we'll call it a night. That's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> all right, nothing, uh, nothing crude or lewd or witty from Luke tonight, guys. So I'm we'll sorry. just uh, call it and say, "Have a good night." Thanks for listening to
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.